Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you back in my neck of the woods as we gather together for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. I'm James Kibbe, and this week we will be hearing poems from one of the most beloved American poets, Emily Dickinson. You may have heard of her, uh, but before I go any further, I wanted to just remind everyone that the Deer Tracks podcast is a place where creativity lives, where our longings, our delights, our disappointments, and our passions are breathed out, marking the trail of our journey. These are the tracks we make and the ones we follow to find the deepest parts of ourselves, our true selves. During each episode, you will hear echoes of the past as well as current voices through discussions about and performances of creative works. Our goal is to build community and inspire others in their creative pursuits, which is why we invite our listeners, you, to submit your work for the opportunity of hearing it on a future episode or seeing it on our blog site by sending them to me, james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Again, the address for that, the email address is james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Up on our blog site right now is an article that I wrote reflecting on Emily Dickinson's poem, Wild Nights, Wild Nights. So head on over there after this episode for that and other fun and interesting articles uh, written by me or other guest contributors. And the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog. Now that we've covered all the formalities, on to this week's show. So as I mentioned at the start of the show, we are dedicating this episode to one of the most beloved American poets, Emily Dickinson. Her poetry has been enjoyed by people of all ages through the years, and if you're not familiar with her work, hopefully after this episode, you will want to explore more of her poetry. Now, Emily Dickinson was born and raised in Amherst, Massachusetts. She was the middle child in a family of five. Her father was a prominent lawyer and politician in Amherst, and they lived in the home Emily's grandfather built, he too being a prominent figure in Amherst society. Emily and her siblings received a good education and lived a pretty good life. Now, I admit that this is a very brief biography. There are a lot of great resources available if you're interested in learning more about Emily's life, and I've included a link in the show notes and uh, in the blog post uh, for this episode to a short documentary that I found helpful. But for our purposes, I only want to highlight that Emily lived a good life for a woman growing up around her time, had just about everything available to her, and yet, as she got older, she began to shut herself off from the rest of society. After reading her poetry, I wonder if she felt that the outer world had nothing to offer her, that the inner world was the source of true delight and true vision. Though Emily secluded herself, she still had aspirations of being a poet and had sent some of her poems to literary figures like Thomas Wentworth Higginson. Sadly, the majority of her poems went unpublished until after her death. 
Amazing to think that one of the greatest American writers, someone who has inspired countless artists and writers, was relatively unknown in her time. And had it not been for the effort of her friends and family, we would have never known the genius of Emily Dickinson. Thankfully, we do know and can enjoy her work for years to come. This first poem of hers that I'm going to read is titled, I Would Not Paint a Picture. Rather than share some thoughts about the poem before reading it, I'm going to hold my thoughts until after you've heard the poem. This way, you're not going into it with any preconceived thoughts unless you're already familiar with this poem. So let's take a moment to breathe deeply and clear our heads. Here is I Would Not Paint a Picture by Emily Dickinson. I would not paint a picture. I'd rather be the one, its bright impossibility to dwell delicious on and wonder how the fingers feel whose rare celestial stir evokes so sweet a torment, such sumptuous despair. I would not talk like cornets. I'd rather be the one raised softly to the ceilings and out and easy on, through villages of ether, my self-endued balloon, by but a lip of metal, the pier to my pontoon. Nor would I be a poet, its finer, own the ear, enamored, impotent, content, the license to revere, a privilege so awful, what would the dower be, had I the art to stun myself? With bolts of melody. That was I Would Not Paint a Picture by Emily Dickinson. What I love about the poem is that she wants to experience art as one who is seeing it, hearing it, and feeling it for the first time. She prefers to be the one moved instead of the mover. As an artist, we don't experience our work in the same manner as those in the audience. Think of someone who builds Ferraris. His experience of a car he just built is going to be different than the person who ultimately buys it. This doesn't mean he can't appreciate the beauty of the car but his familiarity with the nuts and bolts prevents him from experiencing the wonder and pure bliss that is the buyer's. Now, in the first stanza, we're met with the words bright, celestial, indicating the heavens or sky, impossibility, torment, despair, indicating something that is out of reach yet so close, and then delicious, sweet, and sumptuous, indicating consumption that even though we may struggle with its meaning, it's still a delight for our souls, as say an apple is for our bodies. Now in the second stanza, we have another word for heaven or sky, and that is ether. Uh, this time, instead of looking at a painting, the poet feels herself being lifted up to the heavens by the notes of a cornet, floating as a balloon or as a pontoon. In both the first and second stanzas, the second line is the same, I'd rather be the one. 
The third stanza does not have this line. Also, the first line is different. Rather than beginning the stanza with, I would not, Emily begins with, nor would I. This to me indicates a turn in thought. And there's a paradox here when the poet is writing a poem with the line, nor would I be a poet. Obviously the poet is a poet, so what is she saying? She was pointing out that a poet uses words in a way that creates images like a painter in sounds like that of a cornet. And the reason why she would rather not paint a picture or talk like the cornets is that she would rather dwell within those things through poetry. As the first two stanzas describe the gifts that a painting and music bring to the one enjoying them, the poet ends the poem by contemplating what gift is there for the poet from their own poetry. If we can be moved by image and sound separately, how much more when experienced together? This highlights the power and presence of poetry in our lives, and the poet who understands this may even find themselves stunned by their own work. Now this next poem by Emily also demonstrates her keen insight and deals with moments of time. And again, I'm going to save my thoughts for it uh, until after I've read the poem. And the title of it is Forever is Composed of Nows. Here it is. Forever is composed of nows. Tis not a different time, except for infiniteness and latitude of home. From this experienced here, remove the dates to these. Let months dissolve in further months, and years exhale in years. Without debate or pause or celebrated days, no different our years would be from Anno Dominis. That was Forever is Composed of Nows by Emily Dickinson. So depending on where you are, not physically as it pertains to time and space, but rather where you are in terms of thought and faith, this poem could mean something different to you than it does uh, to me or to somebody else listening to the podcast. And I believe most poetry is like that. We all draw something a little different from it uh, based upon where we are in our lives. But great poetry will get us to think outside ourselves upon bigger ideas and deeper truths. Now, we all live in this linear progression we call time. What we do is quantified in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. And while certain things may cycle like the hands on a clock, we continue to move forward moment by moment. Eternity, on the other hand, or forever, as Emily describes it in her poem, is something really hard to understand. It's like contemplating infinity. Where does it begin and where does it end? Um, we tend to think of things as having beginnings and ends. We have the beginning of the day, we have the end of the day. Uh, I have the beginning of the hot dog and the end of the hot dog. And of course, when I get to the end of the hot dog, I'm pretty sad because that means the hot dog's gone. Uh, but infinity is not like that. And it's it's hard for us to, to uh, wrap our minds around it. Now, what Emily is saying 
in the poem is that if we were to stop focusing on the passage of time, so stop focusing on those seconds, those minutes, those hours, those days, those weeks, those months, those years that seem to just be passing us by, if we stopped focusing on that, if we stopped charting it, so stop marking the days on the calendar and that, stop worrying about all those events and things, and instead we just decided to live in the moment, we could experience forever. So that's kind of what she's talking about there. That if we were to stop focusing on the passage of time, stop charting it, stop thinking about the events and things that we have coming up on our calendar forever, we just decided to be in the moment. Just sit there and be in the moment. We could experience forever. So think about that in your life. Think about that moment where it seemed like time stood still or you lost track of time because you were just so engaged in that moment. What was it like? Did you feel as though you were getting a glimpse of forever? I would love to hear what your thoughts were. Uh, in, not just of the poem, but what, what are you thinking about right now? Or were you able to think of that moment? Uh, you can share those thoughts through the comments section on this blog post uh, or the blog post for this episode and uh, or by emailing it to me at james at deertrackspodcast.blog. I say and and or. Uh, so if you wanted to do both, I mean, sure. Uh, but anyway, I would love to read those and and to hear your thoughts. And um, it's just a great way to connect. And, and again, to just uh, see how this poem is, is affecting you. So anyway, I have one more poem for you by Emily Dickinson. And this is titled Come Slowly Eden. And I, I had so many more that I wanted to share, but uh, I'm really trying to keep this these episodes within a certain time uh, so anyway at the end of the episode i will share a resource uh, with you that uh, you can go to and read a lot more of her poems learn more about uh, her uh, not only just her her life but uh, even more about um, just her experiences in, in, in writing and that um, so i encourage you to check that out and again i'll share it at the end of the episode uh, but for right now, I'm going to share with you one more poem. And again, the title of it is Come Slowly, Eden. Come slowly, Eden. Lips unused to thee. Bashful, sip thy jessamines as the fainting bee. Reaching late his flower, Round her chamber hums, counts his nectars, enters, and is lost in bombs. That was Come Slowly, Eden by Emily Dickinson. One thing Emily is great at is writing really good opening lines. And this is no exception. Come Slowly, Eden sets the pace and mood of the poem. And as we hear about the fainting bee who reaches late his flower, then the Come Slowly makes sense. This is a short poem, and yet there is so much that can be drawn from it. First, we need to think about what Emily was communicating when she said, Eden. 
As some of you may be familiar, Eden was the Garden of God. It was the home of Adam and Eve before the whole forbidden fruit situation. This was paradise, and with Emily's interest in study in botany, it would make sense to assume that her idea of paradise would be a garden. So I generally think of paradise when I see the word Eden, but the tender and intimate nature of the lines could point us toward romance. One thing to note is that it seems as though the bee rather than the flower represents Eden. Again, we have come slowly Eden, and then as the fainting bee reaches late his flower, this is where we could see the bee or Eden representing a romantic partner. The poet is this flower waiting for her muse to come and get lost in her bombs. And this leads me to another perspective. What if the muse isn't a romantic partner, but something beyond this natural world? This would take us back to Eden. In 1850, Amherst, Massachusetts was caught up in a revival. Many people joined the church, including some of Emily's family. She was the only one who did not join. It's not that she didn't have faith, uh, she just didn't trust organized religion. So with this in mind, could this poem be about faith? Could she be desiring to be consumed by the divine? Or could she be writing about death? She has written poems that deal with all three possibilities I've mentioned. So what is it? To me, I believe she is writing about death. In another poem of hers titled, I heard a fly buzz when I died, another great opening line, she describes death as a fly buzzing around in a room. Um, in Come Slowly Eden, we have a bee. There's the line, lips unused to thee, which suggests that this is a totally new experience. And you also have this image of a fainting bee entering and being lost in bombs. And one of the uses for bombs is to help prepare a dead body for burial. If we take the poem from the death perspective, then it seems that the poet is welcoming to death, uh, to her mortality. And while she understands it's looming, hence the, um, the bee um, around its chamber hums, she would prefer death took its time. But why would she be welcoming to death? This again would take us back to Eden. If our hope is based on what we have on our calendars or what we possess or our position in life, then death is a pest, an enemy. If our hope, however, is based upon something better beyond this life, then death is a friend because it's through death that we enter into that paradise that we long for, Eden. So again, I would love to hear your thoughts on these poems. Um, and, and what maybe you thought uh, these poems were communicating to you. And again, you can do that by commenting on the blog post for this episode or uh, by emailing me at james at deertrackspodcast.blog. I hope you enjoyed these poems by Emily Dickinson and my reflections on them. All of the poems I read are part of the poems of Emily Dickinson edited by R.W. Franklin and were retrieved at poetryfoundation.org. Uh, this is a great place to learn more about Emily, as well as so many other poets, past and present. And you can read a lot more of Emily's poetry at poetryfoundation.org. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed the content of this podcast, please leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. If you're listening on our blog site, and again, the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog, then leave a message in the comment section of this post or send me an email to james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe saying, see you next time on the Deer Tracks Podcast. <laughs>